Welcome to this episode of Turnpikers. We are uh, recording here live at Boulder Startup Week. We've got uh, Shelly Janes, uh, the CEO and founder of Side Door. That is me. Welcome to our welcome to our uh, our little show here. Thank you. Is it little? It's tiny. It's, 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 I think it's, so. Yeah, I think yeah. it's pretty small. Okay. But well, I'm excited. But it's a real thrill to ride yeah. for you. So tell us about uh, tell us about what, what's your story. You're so you're from Douglas County. Yes, you and, found that out. And mm-hmm. uh, and you came here for college, and you've been here ever since in Boulder. Kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've been here for 12 years now, which is an insane amount of time. I think I'm a unicorn to Boulder. Um, and then I actually went away for a year. I lived in Glasgow, Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of fist fights there. Yeah, I did read about that, and I was yeah. hoping you had an accent. Glaswegian, that. they have the Glaswegian kiss, which is a forehead bump. Head bump. Yeah, that'll kill you. Um, yeah, I, wor- I went there, and I got my master's in psychology, actually. So I did that for a while, and read minds, and decided that you can't make any money in a psychology field. And so I was like, there's got to be a little bit more to life. Started studying for the real estate exam. Do you know that cheesy book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad? I, I do. And it's, I wouldn't call it cheesy. It's, well, it's I'm, not uh, cheesy. It's a life-changing... Uh, I've never even heard of that book. You haven't? No. But I will, I'm now, I will read it. It is a pivotal moment. Looking back, I was like, okay, that was a pivotal moment. Someone gave me that book. Good and I started thinking about life differently and how to do real estate and invest in real estate. And that's what led me down the path that I am now. So I started studying for the real estate exam. I quit my job in psychology with like no savings at all. Thankfully, I had a very supportive boyfriend at the time. And I went straight for it and sold 10 homes my first year and did fix and flips and investment properties and saw it from all angles and just realized it's a really fucked up market. Yeah. And so I decided to change it. And that's what so I'm you doing started now. Side Door. I started Side Door. And tell us about Side Door. Side Door allows home buyers to. Home buyers and sellers to do the transaction online without any agents or their fees. So we connect people directly. It's like the sharing economy. We're tapping into that. And what, uh, I, you know, there's a lot of like for sale by owner type things out there, websites, yes. forums, yes. Uh, we have uh, guides. Isn't that, isn't that what Redfin does? Oh, yes. Well, Redfin has brokerages. So they're, they're agents and they are a discount broker. Got it. Yeah. But they do the same. They, they, do they do it for a flat self-listing fee. Self-listing your house kind of thing, right? No, they have agents that list your house for you and they do it for a flat fee and then you still pay a buyer agent commission, which is the full 2.8%-ish, 3%. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about, uh, what's the Denver Trelora? Trelora. Okay, what's, yeah. their, what's their story and their difference from what you're up to? As far as I know, they're very, very similar to Redfin. Okay. They, um, and I'm sure maybe some listeners might say I'm wrong, but I know that they do a flat fee on both the buyer and the seller side, I believe. So it's still brokerages, agents involved, and we're totally a self-serve platform for people to do it on their own. So uh, so how do you make money? Yeah, good question. So there's a big... Do you make money? No, not right now. Not yet, no. I was <laughs> going to say, as, we, sir, we, we, try not to, say. we try not to talk to people who make money. <laughs> right, yeah, it's right. way too far along. Then we have to ask a bunch of other questions, so I prefer people to be wildly so, unprofitable. Yeah, it's a, little, it's a little podcast, I get it, so we fit right in. But yeah, um, we are making revenue, which is exciting, but we have uh, lenders, They're making lawyers. revenue, but they're not making money. Yeah, Understood. you got so it. That's the way See? they do it. Yeah. 
So um, we have lenders, lawyers, and title companies, and they pay us a monthly subscription fee to get in front of all of our buyers and sellers. So it's it's really tricky to actually work around the real estate marketplace because the real estate commission has such a iron grip on everything that the only way around it was to create a whole new marketplace of people who can do this on their own. And that was the only way to get around the fees and also create the best consumer experience. So we found out we cannot get paid based on the success of sale. It makes you a brokerage by default. You cannot get paid to do the contract. It also makes you a brokerage and it's implied agency, which we don't want to be. It reduces our liability, makes the best experience for the consumer. And so we can only get paid based on marketing fees from our affiliates on the site. That's the only thing I came up with. It's yeah. a pretty good workaround. Huh? That's cool. Yeah. So I, I understand from a from a seller's perspective why I don't want to list with a broker because right. I'm lo- losing out on a lot of cash. But from a seller side, yes. I feel like having a having a agent is very nice. A buyer side, you mean? Yes. 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 That's what I. Yes. That's what I meant. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And I would say. I thought the same thing, and I was like, this is going to fail. Why would someone want to use this? Buyer agents are technically, quote unquote, free. Um, And then I started really diving into the for sale by owner community, and I realized that some things were happening offline that we could easily put online. One of those was um, being able to list your property. What for sale by owners will do is they'll say, hey, you know what? This house is 500,000, but if you come without an agent, it's 492. And so that's giving people an incentive not to bring a buyer agent and them not to pay the 3%. They're still making more money, keeping more money in their pocket, and gives that incentive to buyers. So at Sidedoor, we're enticing people to do that so people will be more willing to go through our platform rather than having a buyer agent for 3%. Because on a $500,000 house, that's $15,000, which is huge. And so you have a, uh, a challenge then of being in these sort of attracting eyeballs situation, right? You because everybody's going to say, yeah, that sounds like a great deal. And then they want to know there's all these, you know, uh, audience KPIs are available to everybody. And now everybody knows they want to see exactly how many impressions they're getting and they want to see totally. how many people are looking at their images yeah. and how many, you know, and all that sort yeah. of stuff. So yeah. not able so, to list on MLS probably, correct. right? So, yep, okay. we're not a brokerage. So then you're in the, you guys know a lot so about then you're in the, I'm, then you're, my, my, my wife is a real estate person, so oh, she's no. very, very dialed into this she whole world. She's mad at me. No, no, no. <laughs> she's, 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 her and her friends are very disruptive. Yes, good, good. Um, but Forward then you're in the eyeball thing. business. So mm-hmm. how, how do you how do you do that? How do you good manage question. that situation? Because yeah. you can create awesome presentation Everything. layer. You can create a, the best business arrangements for everybody. But you're going to need totally. an obscene amount of traffic to make yeah. it happen. Yeah, luckily we can leverage things that get an obscene amount of traffic already, like Zillow and Trulia. So we can actually post all of our listings to Zillow and Trulia or have our clients do that. And what we've done is we put in the first sentence of the listing description to schedule a showing or make an offer go to, and it's their link to our site. And we've had about 1.5 to 2% click-through rate on that of people being interested in the property. So we're actually stealing a lot of eyeballs from Zillow. I hope they don't hear this and tell us not to. But at this point, the clients are actually doing it themselves. And they want to have an offer made directly to them from pre-approved buyers. And that's what we do. And then, uh, so how many, uh, today as we sit here at this table, how, how many, how many um, properties are listed on your on your domain right now, we have we've created sixty five listings. I believe out of those sixty are still active. Five have sold. So we've done eight transactions since our soft launch in December, and then since our launch actually was 
the 30th of April, so pretty new. We've had yeah. five more get under contract since then. Is it uh, regional right now, or is it national now? Or Good question. It's regional. We're Denver Boulder based. Yeah, and next market is Chicago. Got it. Mm -hmm. And in each market, you need to find, because it's a little different, I guess, the actual purchasing process is different than going through an agent, so you mm, are actually pairing totally. with a with a contract lawyer? Is that what's... Uh... So we, we pair with a lot of contract lawyers. Okay. They're the ones that pay us our revenue. Right. So we actually want to get them as much business as possible. And yeah, good question. For instance, in Illinois and Chicago, they use more lawyers to complete transactions here. We're required to go to a title company, and that's how we close. In Chicago, they can do it very differently than that. So we probably will have more lawyers in that area than title companies. Yeah, good question. Tell us about uh, what's, what's, your, what's your team look like? How many people do you have? Yeah, we have five people now, which is still itty-bitty, but we're growing. And I just made a few new hires. We are leveraging so hard the internship program. It is so easy to bootstrap when you have interns who are really hungry and willing and ready to do the work. That has been a godsend for new startups. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and uh, are you? Did you raise money? You're raising money, bootstrapping. What's your bootstrap? Luckily, I was successful in real estate, so I used a lot of that for up until a few did months you, did ago. Did you buy the five houses that have been bought on your property too? I did. I just bought them. I was like, look <laughs> at the attraction. Great. Look at what I yeah, got. Great, great response. <laughs> Uploaded them and bought them yeah, five seconds there we later. There go. It's like perfect. It was, I know yeah. how to do it. Yeah. yeah. No, and I, and I made a commission off of it. No, yeah, totally it's great. And totally the lawyer joking. that did the contract is your friend. Yeah, exactly. No. Dynamite. No, I, I wish I could have been that easy. No, we actually, those are legitimate people. That, I wasn't that suggesting did do that. that. Not, yeah. yeah. Um, so I did bootstrap it for a while. We went through Boomtown, so that helped a little bit as well. And then we had some funds come in right after Boomtown. But right now we are currently raising to go to the next five cities that we want to be in. Got it. Yeah. And then uh, are you trying to take... Uh, uh, I would I would assume that having sort of a regional, not a franchise model, but a regional model, so you take are you going to try to raise money in those locations so that you can get more support in those locations? Is that the? Yeah, you're absolutely right. We have a unique situation where the more places that we can go, that we can actually have buy-in from those people, will help us out significantly. So yes, we are trying to go to those places and get investor money from those different areas. And luckily, we can we can get them from very different arms, and we can do more of a unique fundraising model. Um, not the not the traditional seed series A, series B, which we might end up doing, but it seems like we're we're getting investor money from people who've also bought into this concept and model and could be part of it as well. Yep, that's cool. And uh, the the space we just did a, another episode with a guy who's sort of disrupting kind of a legacy space like okay. you, and we've talked to a few people who are sort of working in in, in legacy spaces that describe a, a new economy that I think most people would would uh, assume will be the reality at some point. It's really just a yeah. question of when. Yes. So when you think about the, the reality of this kind of a real estate model where it's sort of direct to consumer, um, without a lot of middleman, middlewoman shenanigans, what do you, how do you feel about the timing for that? Is that now? Is that later? Is that, you feel like you're right at the right time to be doing this? 
Well, of course I'm going to say yes. I think. Well, I mean, you might say we want to get ready because we think it's going to happen in two or three years. That's also an answer. Absolutely. No, I've thought about it actually very long and hard, and I think that we're actually going into a, another potential bubble burst when it comes to real estate specifically. Mm. And Redfin actually came out in 2007, which was perfect timing, 2006, 2007, right before the 2008, and they actually ended up getting a significant amount of traffic to their site of people wanting to sell and buy homes for a much cheaper way. Um, so, yes, I do think that we're well positioned for that to happen in the future. Um, so I do think we're moving towards it. I don't think that people are comfortable quite yet with it. We are obviously getting very early adopters in our peer-to-peer -peer marketplace. And as soon as it becomes more of an idea and more of a brand and people start recognizing it, yeah, I think we're moving that way. I think at least in two to three years, people are going to be more comfortable doing that. So uh, it sounds like you've got some uh, the, the proper kind of workarounds. Uh, you've got the uh, kind of full legal stuff figured out here in, in the Colorado market. You mentioned some other uh, locales that you're going to be moving into. Are there going to be every location that you're looking at? Are there going to be some kind of little gotchas that you're going to have to figure out locally? Yeah, absolutely. I, I anticipate that. I mean, you have to be prepared for all that. It's just finding a way around it. And there's always a way. Where there's a will, there's a way. Are so. there any that are that don't have any of those that you can jump into that are that you kind of have free reign over that you've uh, found yet? You know, I don't know if I can say that, but what I can say is that Colorado is so difficult in real estate market. Well, it's easy, but it's also difficult, meaning that we have probably the most stringent laws sure. around real estate. So my belief has been if it can work here in Colorado, we can more than like it, likely take it to most places. Um, so that's how I'll answer that question, sure. but yeah. I don't know what has yet to be in front of us for all the other markets. I'm sure there always is pitfalls to come across. So we're just ready to work with them and figure out ways around them. Nice. What, what is the, uh, how do you articulate the amount of money that you're, that you're saving the seller um, when they engage with you guys versus a traditional real estate, real estate agent? Yeah, that's a good question. So they don't pay us any fees unless they want marketing or if they want professional photography, we do offer that. So we can't get paid because it makes us a brokerage. Um, but what we can do is connect them with our real estate lawyers, and all of our lawyers have been able to keep it under $2,000. So rather than 6%, if the buyer is paying $2,000 and the seller is paying $2,000, at max they're paying about $4,000 out of pocket. And that's the most. Some people only want the contract to be looked over, and that's $500, right? Um, up to $1,500. So we're finding people are actually falling in the range of $1,000 to $1,500 per side in complete inspection, negotiation, appraisal, things like that. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's huge. That's a huge, huge savings. Yeah. yeah. Um, how, how should people interact with what you do? What would be the best way for them to check it out? Is it just to go to SideDoor.com or...? I wish we owned SideDoor.com. It's yeah. like a million dollars. I actually talked to someone. American Express owns it, so we'll get it at some point, but... Don't door. bother. Uh, SideDoorInc.com. Uh, side Don't bother. Yeah. Don't bother. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, and I'm always open if anyone has questions or email. I know that it's a new concept, so I'm always happy to talk people through how it works and give them a little bit more of guidance on the site as much as I can, just letting them know how, how to go about it. Great. Yeah. Well, it's awesome to meet you. Thanks for coming on the yeah, show. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I yeah, so appreciate it. All right. Thank, thank you. you. We have Hannah Davis from Merge Lane. We're recording at a um, 
a restaurant called Wild Standard. Wild Standard Fancy Restaurant on Pearl Street, and we have a crowd of a couple thousand people here to watch the podcast, so this is a real thrill ride for everybody. Hannah, tell us about uh, MergeLane. MergeLane is a 12-week business accelerator for startups with at least one female in leadership. Um, a few things that are unique about MergeLane compared to traditional accelerators, we run a mostly remote program, so the teams come to Boulder for the first two weeks, last week, and the rest of it's run remote, and we have teams from all over the country. Awesome. How many uh, teams do you guys have at a time? We'll do 10 a year. 10 a year in one cohort or 10 a year at different times? In one cohort. In one cohort. And we've just finished our second cohort. And you do it remotely because you can't find office space or because you feel like remotely yes, is better? And, no. We, uh, we looked at the challenges uh, around women joining accelerators. And so one of the hypotheses, hypotheses we had was um, it's hard for them to get up and leave their city and move to a new city for three months. This could be, one, because their business is so far along and they have a whole team they're managing back in New York. It could also be because they, in addition to running their company, are um, in charge of a lot of the household responsibilities, have families, and three months is a long time to either move your family or be away from them. Sure. Geographically, where uh, are, are your teams mostly in the U.S., or do you guys have any international companies? All of our teams are headquartered in the U.S. We did have a team this year that is from Hungary. They're actually looking to get visas and move here. We have several startups from the Bay Area. We have seven, I think, from Colorado, which is really fun for us. And then other cities such as um, outside of Detroit, South Carolina, and um, the uh, Nevada area as well. So reaching some harder to reach entrepreneurial uh, cities that don't have as many resources and providing resources for those cities as well. What's the program kind of look like? I, you know, I think uh, a lot of us uh, at least conceptually know what kind of like a intense three-month accelerator looks like, kind of in the the TechStars model, um, where you know there's kind of hard cranking work leading towards a demo day. Um, what's a typical day or week look like uh, for MergeLine? Great question. So we don't have that standard. You know, everyone's in a co-working space working to 11 o'clock at night because we're not physical. Um, but what it does look like the first two weeks when the teams are in Boulder. We do, we start off with some more team building leadership development practices that are the foundation of MergeLane. We run on a principle called the Conscious Leadership Group, um, developed this principle, and it's really how to take responsibility and the idea around, are you living life by me or to me? Kind of like, to me would be more of a victim, a villain, or a hero mindset, where by me is when you take 100% responsibility, no more or less. And so we start off with that foundational work, and then we move very quickly into our mentor meetings. These are speed meetings. I think our teams, on average, did 50 to 65, maybe, of these 30-minute rapid mentor sessions in person during the first two weeks. This is exhausting, uh, not only because you're back-to-back -back meetings and you're getting a lot of information, you're getting a lot of mentor whiplash, so one mentor telling you one thing, the other telling you the exact opposite, and just kind of taking all that information in. And I think it's hard at the beginning to separate also taking it personally around people picking apart your business and also um, figuring out what's useful information and what's not. So we start with that very intense period. After that, the teams leave and we have a, a business curriculum where we run courses essentially that are one hour remote. We bring in our mentors. Because it's remote, we can have people from all over the country 
uh, they do hour-long sessions, you know, starting with the product market fit, lean startup, agile kind of thinking, and moving in the sequential, you know, moving on to marketing, sales, fundraising, etc. throughout the program. We do offer an optional week in the middle for people to come back. This year, everyone chose, uh, almost everyone chose to come back to Boulder to be there. Uh, just kind of regroup, meet with our mentors. Um, and so, also during that business curriculum, there's two groups of people that the companies are meeting with. One is their mentors, they get a lead mentor, three to six lead mentors that they meet with one hour a week. We also provide um, leadership coaches, so each CEO has their own CEO coach that they meet with around kind of those interpersonal skills I talked about in the beginning, and then also the CEO meetings where all the CEOs meet once a week together to support each other on some of the challenges unique to CEOs. So there's obviously more, more accelerators now almost than there are startups, so what's the reason for, for this accelerator? Why does the world need this accelerator? The world needs the accelerator to show that investing in women isn't just a good thing to do, but it's a really smart thing to do. And that women-run um, companies produce higher returns. And not just women-run, but diverse companies. Companies that have men Significantly and higher. Yes. Um, there's a lot of studies that show that, and a lot of studies that show that women aren't getting as much funding, they aren't having as many resources, and so there's this gap, and Merge Lane's trying to fill that gap, and we would love to be obsolete. We don't want to be around forever because we don't want to be needed forever. Um, but we did see that this wasn't being met in the traditional accelerator marketplace, and we thought we were the ones to do that. And uh, what is the economic situation? What is your, what's the investment that Merge Lane puts into the companies, and what's that modeled after? Is that sort of, other than what you said about the premise for being, it sounds like a pretty traditional accelerator curriculum. Is, is that, are your terms and your sort of investment terms similar to a lot of other accelerators yeah. or different? Yes. We, um, we have two different funds. Our accelerator fund, we invest 20K upfront in all of our teams. We get 6% and they go into the, the accelerator program. And then we have a discretionary fund where we can invest up to initial 100K in each team. We also just um, raised an additional $1 million and are making investments in women-led companies that have not gone through MergeLane that either went to another accelerator or aren't a fit. They're too far along for MergeLane for some reason. So we have six new portfolio companies that have not gone through our accelerator. And, and who are the MergeLane LPs? Uh, Sue Heilbronner and Elizabeth Krauss all are the co-founders. So they own the whole fund? And I mean, we raised, yeah, they, we run the fund. But did, did they raise money from other people, yeah. or is that Sue's money? And no, we raised tons of money. From who? Angel investors, yeah. Got it. And tell us about the, uh, maybe give us a quick, who's been unique, per, uh, unique companies that come out of the last cohort? What are the two most sort of... Um, unique companies for whatever reason you would sort of identify either product or success yeah. or maybe lack of success or lessons learned or whatever. Um, we So our last cohort um, ended on April 21st, so it's just not even a month ago. ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a unique company that came out of the 2016 class is Ballot Ready. There are yeah. two women based in Chicago. They are creating nonpartisan um, information that shows what's on every ballot, local to national, and providing that across the nation. So, for example, here in Colorado, people may have thought we already had our primary because we went to the caucus or whatever. But we actually have our primary coming up in June, and there's gonna be all sorts of things on that ballot that aren't 
related to the presidential, which we're all hearing about. So how do we get that information? How do we get it in a way that we know is is um, trusting? So that's a plug for them, especially for Colorado listeners. Uh, look look at ballotready.com and .org and uh, check out who's going to be on the ballot in this primary coming up in June. And I think. I think it's a revolutionary company because their business model is they can they can actually sell data, and it's not a it's not a nonprofit or anything like that. We only work for for-profit organizations. They can sell their data, and they can also they do ad space. But it's really unique in that site. You want to look at Hillary Clinton and see what she's all about. Her ads are actually going to be under her profile, so it's very clear. It's actually more learning about Hillary because you can see, oh, how does she advertise? What's that like? Sure. And the advertising is content in itself. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited That's about that. That's a cool idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you see any, are there any uh, specific trends or unique trends that you're seeing from the companies that are applying? Um, like, I guess, outside of a normal accelerator uh, or a typical accelerator, are you seeing any kind of, uh, are there any unique focuses or, or directions yeah. that your companies are leaning? I would say n- not in the ones that we accepted. Sure. Uh, I-, I think they look like many other accelerators. You know, in addition to Ballot Ready, we have a company focused on cybersecurity. So we, they are a lot of tech because we're a high growth they have a tech component mostly we did in 2015 we took some product companies um, some natural food companies so we we are industry agnostic and that will touch across different types but I wouldn't say if you looked at our class and you look at Techstars you're going to notice too much difference in the companies you'll notice that we have more women on stage at Demo Day so Hannah tell us about uh, what your day looks like as the person who's sort of running the day-to-day operations of the accelerator and sort of what is your sort of day-to-day in or out of the three-month period look like yeah are you spending your time vetting companies mostly more time dealing with care and feeding of existing portfolio companies or what, what do you what's your day look like I think it depends when you ask we're very seasonal in that we run one cohort a year. So um, there's the three months of the cohort. There's three months we are heavily recruiting. There's three months of prep, um, which leaves three months of a little bit more spacious time, which I'm in right now. And yeah. I've been able to enjoy Boulder Startup Week, which has been really fun. Um, and get to go to Techstars Demo Day tonight and support other um, accelerators in town. But we are a small team. It's myself and the two co-founders, Sue and Elizabeth, so we all do a bit of everything and work really, really well together. We also have different strengths, which is nice. Elizabeth handles a lot of the investment side, raising our money, helping the teams raise money, working with sponsors. Uh, I work really closely with Sue, developing curriculum, bringing in mentors operationally. What does it look like? How do we um, run a program? Uh, And now that we have two classes, it'll be fun to start working on alumni. Now that we have alumni, start building programs. What does it look like to continue to support them? Um, How do we engage the rest of the community? There's so many great startups that are are excited to support accelerators because they get to touch all these new companies starting. How does it look like to vet those and provide um, more resources to our companies? And and those go a really long way for us. Um, Accelerators aren't great business models. I don't know how much you know about that in terms of 
I know a lot about it. Okay. Both of us know a lot about it. But yeah. if you're taking six percent for two, for twenty thousand dollars, you got a pretty good business model. That's what it was when uh when I went through TechStars. It was more than twenty thousand bucks. Eighteen. Eighteen. Is it less? <laughs> Hopefully, in you know five to ten years, we do. Uh, but the day to day until then is really relying on um, sponsorships and support. So we got a, a small business administration grant last year, and we applied for another one, and that's gone a huge way. Um, and just relying on community support to help in, in the interim where it's kind of nobody's close to exiting or anything like that. Got it. Get us through. And if people wanted to apply to Merge Lane, do you guys use F-Success or what's your sort of application platform? The, the cycle will be the fall. Sure. It'll open up. Yeah. Um, we'll pick companies early January to start, or maybe late December, early January to start at end of January for 2017. Yeah. Got it. Um, they can always email hello at mergelane.com if people want to get in touch. Our website has FAQ, all sorts of info on it. Is, is, uh, is everybody still using F-Success? Is that sort of the standard situation still? It is. Uh, yeah. I looked at, when I did Techstars, I looked at, I think, 2,000 applications on uh -huh. that platform once. Is that, that, how's that working? Because at that time it was, I guess that was maybe four years ago, it was just starting to sort of emerge as the default sort of yeah. way of collecting all of this uh, information. And, and at that point in time, there was just, like, people were psyched about that because everybody was on different platforms. It was like right. when the common application came out for college, everybody was like, yay. <laughs> yeah. But I, is that, does that work well? How's that? Um, they have put a lot into making it better. Yeah. We were kind of, it's funny to hear you say that because when I first got on that, I was like, why the hell is everyone using this? It's awful, but we have to use it because everyone's on it. Yeah. Um, and they, and the, I mean, anytime I email them a question, they respond within 10 minutes, which was the savior, which made them so great. But they've heard, listened to feedback and made it a lot better, but it was pretty hard to use at first. Yeah. Um, and really grateful that there is a place that everyone's on and we got a lot of applications from people just being on F success. So yeah, I'd say, Long answer to yes, people are using that. Yeah, and you don't really make decisions about that anyway. Like you, that's just if how you, just how you, that's how you meet meet, yeah. meet the companies. Yeah, exactly. You know? That's not the, that's kind of the be all and end all for finding out the information. Yeah. You guys are only a couple of years in, but are you saying uh, applications to the program increase in a in a rate that you're Yeah, from about? year one to year yeah. two, certainly yeah. we did um, recruiting is always a challenge so far. And we, one thing I'm working on the summer is how to make recruiting not feel so hard. And like we're pushing and people are pushing back because of all the 18 companies that's gone through Merge Lane, everyone is so grateful they went through it and wouldn't change a thing. And yet it's so hard to get people into it. So playing around with that, what does that look like? Making videos, getting better testimonials, um, and seeing how we can increase that. We did a lot of outreach last year. That was another thing we found was a little bit different is women are less likely to opt in. You've maybe you've heard the studies around jobs. If a, if a male meets, I don't know, with 10% of the qualifications, it's probably an exaggeration, they'll apply. Where if a woman, woman doesn't, doesn't meet, you know, 95 of them, she might not even apply. So doing a lot of outreach um, to invite people and say, hey, we want you to apply. We think that you're qualified or you could be and, and trying to make it feel a little more inclusive. And that's actually, that's been a long way for us. 
Last question for me. What? Uh, so, you know, we at Verizon and AOL, we have our Built by Girls Fund, mm -hmm. BBG Fund, and yes, Susan mm -hmm. Lyon and Nisha work on that, and I, they seem to. That's our way of investing in um, in female-founded startups. That they seem to have a pretty good, really good network of kind of all of these sort of networked kind of female founder communities. Are you finding that group is very active and open? And obviously there's boatloads of money going into that now and, yeah. and everybody's sort of on board. Are there, do you find that all these different enterprises that are sort of have the same directive and mission that you guys have, are you guys all pretty well networked? And is that a pretty... Um, fluent communication between yeah. all these different groups. I mean, or? Susan Land's a mentor at Merge yeah. Lane um, has been so supportive since day one. Yeah. I, I think in Boulder, certainly connected to, you know, Veneta Project and other things going on here. Yeah, the short answer is yes. We have mentors from Golden Seeds. Um, was I went to 37 Angels to their boot camp. So everyone's really supportive awesome. in each other. In, building it all up together and that's why it's everyone's doing so well is that we're working together on the same mission it's been great yeah it's awesome uh, last question that we ask everybody is uh, so we ask people what is the what is the one thing that, that you feel like that that Hannah Davis gets that everybody else doesn't get and what is the thing that you get that nobody else gets as far as how you do your work a technology that you see out there um, you know what is that? What is it, what are the things that you feel like are trends that you that you've identified that maybe other people have, or vice versa? That other people have or have not. Have not. Have not. Oh, okay. Like what is something that, that you feel like you have really good insight into that maybe other people don't? Um, you can also answer the other question, which is things that everybody else seems to get that you may feel like you're not necessarily fully bought in on. Um. There's a lot of things I would I'd say I'm not really bought in on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in Tell us one. Well, I would say one thing I see that maybe other people don't see is I believe because of I think a lot of people still see. So my parents, for example, growing up, they're like, okay, you know, you grow up, you go to college, you get a house, and you live with your family in the house. And I actually think that will shift. I think you already see it shift in co-working spaces, for example. People used to work in their own office, and now they work in offices together. And I think that how we live will shift. I think it'll move towards communal housing. And I this is the best answer we've ever had to this question, by the way. Yes. Uh, I actually, I think not only will it shift that way, I think it has to shift that way. Um, and I think that will be some of the things that help us shift things like climate change, um, things like in inclusivity, and um, in general, more innovation will come through a collaborative living situation. Yeah. The individual housing model is surely inefficient. Yes. Stupid. You know, my fine feathered friend over here has bought himself a church and is moving hordes of people into a renovated church. So I did not know that. Yeah. He's, he's, Come check it out. I would love to. Yeah, you, you two may be living together. So. Right, I'm, right. I'm interested. I'm very much into the uh, whole, whole co-living uh, concept and Right? I went to a city I'm council last meeting last night trying to make co-ops legal here. Oh, really? Yeah. Are co-ops illegal? Mm -hmm. yeah. Really? Denver, too. I was at the Denver City they, Council meeting on Monday. Cities, right? 
Doubtful. Maybe. You can't have more than three four. unrelated people living in a house. It's four and done. Oh, is that connected to like the Airbnb stuff, or is it is it a separate conversation? College. Separate. But they're, yes. they're they're sort of in that same issue, right? Definitely. But this issue. is even this is even yeah, four unrelated family. Like especially in college towns, like you can't, you're not legally supposed to have more than three college kids living in the same house, mm-hmm. or you know anybody. But yeah, that's like the big one here. Unless you have like a foster home or something, I guess. Huh? Yeah, you can have. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, All right, Hannah, thanks for being you so on the Churn Pikers. Great. I, I'll listen to it now. All right. Have a good day. Enjoy <laughs> Boulder you. Startup Week. You've been listening to Turn Pikers, a show about the people who make up the Denver and Boulder tech community. You can reach us directly and discover more information at turnpikers.com and follow us at Turnpikers on Twitter. Please send us your questions and recommend future guests. 